Hello, everybody. My name is Steve, and I'm here today with two special guests. Uh, Epic, you want to introduce yourself and tell us about your channel? Nah, the people already know who I am, man. It's Epic Tales. You already know what it is. Um, check out my channel, like, comment, and subscribe. Um, I'm so excited today because we're talking to Mike Shell. Like, you know what? Let me let Mike introduce himself. I'm Mike Shell. Writer of Barrowlands. <laughs> Guys, if you if you are if you if you have the same kind of taste with me or you you like horror grim dark you like those dark tones right that constantly keeps your mind on edge barrowlands is what you should read it's only an hour and it's like uh the setup for the aching god series guys i read i read barrowlands i was planning to read like aching god like sometime in say like uh um september maybe october I read Barrowlands and I was like, you know, I just destroyed my TBR. I was just like, every other book can wait. This one has to be read right now. So, yeah. So, so Mike was gracious enough to come by and chat with us. And what we wanted to do, we're starting the trilogy next month. So in September, we're, we're going to we'll be reading Aching God. At the end of the month, we'll have a, an online meetup to discuss it. And then the following, we're going to do that each month for each book. So we wanted to get a little preview of the trilogy and get an idea of some inspirations and how the trilogy came to, came to be. So thanks again, Mike, for stopping by and chatting with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. So where did the idea for this trilogy come from? Uh, I, uh, I was writing for Paizo Publishing. Uh, from 2010 to 2017, I was doing... Uh, modules gazetteers for it's a, for those who aren't uh, aware pathfinder is uh, a, a pretty big uh fantasy uh role-playing tabletop game and uh, i was writing material for adventure material for them and i had an idea for a standalone module and i uh pitched it to james jacobs the creative director of paizo uh at a gen con and he 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 passed on it and the story just really kept nagging at me. And, and so the next Gen Con, I pitched it to him again. And his response was, you know what? I think this is something that you need to write. Hmm. And so I actually kind of uh, really appreciate that he that he turned me down because what I ended up doing, because I had conceived of it originally in the Pathfinder world of Galarian and plugging it in there. By uh, taking it, making it all my own, I created my own world to to mm. set it in and that gave me a lot more freedom to kind of just run wild with with ideas uh so aching god itself was the first book and it was it was um based on the idea for a module that i had mm. and uh as i when i was about a third of the way through writing it i realized that this could very easily be expanded into a trilogy and i could see where it was going and uh, so probably before I finished Aching God, I realized I was writing a trilogy. Hmm. Uh, but it really, it just started off as this is an idea for a one-off 64-page module. So, wow. so did, after he passed on it and you realized you, you have a lot more freedom, did your writing process change after that? Did you start to think of things differently? Not only well, in the world, I, but story? I, I think I, I mentioned before we came on that, that I'd <laughs> wanted to write for years. Um, <laughs> that uh and i had i had made the effort to to write novels in the past but got bogged down after 20 30 pages i would just be i, I would i would edit and re-edit and re-re-edit and just until i had squeezed every ounce of joy and inspiration out of it and abandon it and that just happened over and over and over again until i kind of okay I, i'm not i'm not constitutionally suited to do this kind of writing I'd always attend the writer's seminar at, at Gen Con every year, and, and uh, mostly from thinking, well, I'm, I'm writing for RPGs, so anything that, that I can do to kind of beef up my narrative skills will be good. So I go to, that for, go to it for the, that reason. And I was at a seminar, and one of the, the authors, I wish I could remember who was on this panel who said this, because it just it was a miraculous thing for me. He just talked about his writing process, which was sitting down uh, and taking whatever chunk he wrote the, the day before, you know, if he wrote 2,500 words a day before, he'd take that 2,500 word chunk and he'd do one quick editorial pass and he'd pick up from there and start writing again. Hmm. 
And I thought, okay, I, I'll give this a try and see if, uh, you know, it, it'll work with this idea I had, which at the time was called In the Belly of the Aching God. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I cranked out the, the first draft of this novel, 32, uh, 132,000 words in 10 weeks. Wow. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, this is someone who'd never been able to get wow. past 30 pages. And uh, I was just, I was just flabbergasted. It just, it was, it came out, felt like it was magic. Wow. So the book basically kind of wrote itself. Yeah. It felt like someone else was writing it. It just was kind of, I was just kind of the stenographer, you know, when I've, when I, is it okay if we curse? And Yeah, go for it. Uh, go it, for it, man. Um, I had always assumed when, you know, you hear authors talking about characters writing themselves and kind of their voice kind of takes over. I always thought, Oh, that is just, you know, kind of affectation bullshit. And that's <laughs> not really, that's, that doesn't happen. I'm damned if that didn't, you know, happen to me in a lot of, uh, a lot of situations where, you know, for instance, one of the characters who was a one-off in the first book is, is a point of view character in the third book. Hmm. Uh, oh. I thought, I thought she wasn't getting, you know, that she was just there to kind of make a point in one chapter. And all of a sudden she took on this role that she, I hadn't originally conceived. So, uh, anyway, my 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 process changed enormously when I when I had that writing tip. So wrote the first draft in ten weeks, and then spent the next year and a half or so doing rewrites and revisions and editing and such. Wow, so. that's like uh, that reminds me of like when I was a kid, and then like I'll wake up in the morning, first thing in the morning, I'll go to my laptop and I'll start writing. I'll forget to eat, drink water. I'll forget to do anything and I'll just write all day. And then my mom will come to my room. I'll be dehydrated. My lips will be chapped. And then she would ask me if I've eaten and I'll, I'll be thinking about it, you know. And at the time, it didn't even occur to me that I wanted to be a writer. So how I found out about Aching God was that um, I had uh, I have this friend on, uh, on BookTube, Andrew, one of my first friends in the BookTube community. And I had him like proofread each, each chapter of my book because at the time I was releasing a chapter a day. And he was just like, um, I kind of think I get what you want to do. You need to read Barrowlands. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, Barrowlands is the um, prequel to Aching God. And I kept putting it away. I kept putting it away. I kept putting it away. And then I was going on a trip to Victoria with my girlfriend last week. And um, like I was like, oh, it's a one hour on Audible. Let me just listen to it. And as when I was listening to it the whole time, I was shaking. Like the tone is consistent and the tone is the, there's, there's this constant sense of mystery. The book is super, super short. It's so small, but I'm, I am hooked. Like I'm hooked about, I'm hooked. I'm very curious about the protagonist. I, I think that that was the protagonist, right? Which, um, who, who, the unnamed? The, the, the silent one, the silent one, yeah. Okay, so I'm very curious about, like, um, I want to dig into this character. That's one. And two, the world. Like, what the hell is going on there? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually wrote Barrel Lands after Aching God. Ah. And, and I had conceived of it originally as, as something, okay, here's this is a teaser to get people to sign up for my newsletter. Um. I'll offer this story. And then the opportunity came along to, to put it into an anthology with a bunch of other uh, indie fantasy writers. Um, and, and it's, so now it's, it's in a collection of, of uh, short stories uh, that's ebook uh, called uh, lost lore. Uh, and that's probably where you, 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 uh, I don't know. Well, you didn't read it. You, you listened to it. Yeah. Um, just Audible, or rather Podium Publishing, who uh, I contracted with to to do the audiobooks, uh, asked if I had anything uh, anything uh, to go along with it, any short stories. And they recorded. Uh, they had Simon Vance, who's the narrator for this for the trilogy, uh, do that as well and release that as a teaser as well to get people hooked in. But I wrote a Barrowlands as as kind of an afterward to give people a picture of what happened to the main character before the events of Aching God. So it takes place about three years before Aching God happens. So I have a friend, a creative, a friend, he's a creative writing professor, right? And he's always telling me how 
or like uh he he feels like like he's always like he's like my mentor you know he's helping me like improve my writing and he said something um you need to know what to leave out and you need to know what to live in like you can't just like uh constantly like do expositions of what is going on inside a character's head and i always kind of understood understood what he meant and he he always referred me to read ernest um hemingway like uh, because i mean hemingway like there's a way he writes things very objectively and um uh and uh, like i read hemingway and I, I got the idea of what he was talking about but when i read and i know we're talking about aching god but like my context to like the the, the whole world is, is what i what i experienced when i was uh consuming barrowland so when i read barrowland i got exactly what he was saying i got I like it like the picture became so clear so I don't know if it's a conscious thing for you or if it's an unconscious thing, but how do you know what to leave out in your writing and how do you know what to leave in to create such a sense of mystery, not just about the characters, right, but also about the world in general? Uh, that's a really tough question. I, I, I don't, there's this temptation, especially if you grew up reading Tolkien, to have to plan out every single little detail of the world that you're writing in, right? And so there are there are certain things I know that that I'm a plan. I I used to be a big planner, and I would spend ages creating a world, and you know spend this time coming up with the name. Well, they don't have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I have to come up with days of the names for the days of the week. <laughs> names for the months you know uh we have to uh, you know have different names for the moon and the and the and the sun and the, and you can get really bogged down in all those details and and you know lose the lose the forest for the trees um so i think backing away some and really focusing more on having a having a a rough idea of what your world looks like, or if you've got lots of ideas and about the details, um, keeping that to yourself and throwing it in every now and again as a uh, as a piece uh, uh, to color the world, uh, you know, to to make it three dimensional. Focus more on character. Um, when you focus so much on on all the details and the lore and the history. Even though I love that stuff, I, I'm fascinated by that stuff and all of Tolkien's uh, appendices and whatnot. Um, you know, I, that's fascinating stuff. But you lose you you lose sight of what really matters, which is the the characters you're talking about and their story and what's happening to them. So focusing more on 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 their emotions, their reactions to things, and uh, and just how does this how is this affecting your people? Uh, if you you know you have people as your main characters, um, rather than the world they're in, hmm. Hmm. you're not creating a gazetteer, right? A world yeah. guide. You're creating. Uh, you're telling a story that takes place in a world, and by by that uh, by the very definition, then the world should be the environment they're in, not the story itself. Hmm. So I'm not sure that the environment. No, no, that's a good one. The the world should be the environment they are in, not not the story itself. That's a good one. You know, like uh, a lot of us nerds, uh, fantasy nerds, like we we started uh, with Tolkien, and uh, while I I can read Lord of the Rings and enjoy it, and like I've read it so many times, uh, I I don't uh, like if I saw someone trying to write like that, like I I would I would uh, yeah I would critique it so hard because. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't like it. Like I, it when Tolkien did it, it was fine, and especially at the age I read it and everything. But I don't like the use of adverbs that well. Like and just like certain details that like um, certain de- details that are, are necessary. You know, it's like you're focusing on the story, and then like some excessive description starts taking your mind in another direction where you're trying to picture something else. You know. But um, yes, like I really, I really, really enjoyed. Like I'm really, really looking forward to reading um, Aching God, the Iconoclast um, um trilogy. Now let me ask you a question because I, I there's sometimes it's always difficult for me. Not difficult, but there's a there's a very thin line between um, I would say dark fantasy, 
horror and grim dark what would you describe your book as i would describe it as dark fantasy mm. um, the reason for that yeah sometimes it's been uh it's been called grim dark and uh the grim dark magazine i got some attention from grim dark magazine because i think the world itself is pretty grim mm -hmm. um but but what i think makes it different is that um there are characters for you to actually root for. Um, they're genuine good guys, yeah. and and it's not hopeless, right? Things things look pretty bleak, uh, but there's hope, and there's goodness in the world, and there are things worth fighting for. Um, you know, the, uh, the way I characterize Grim Dark is, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. Every you know, you try to do good, and all you do is cause uh, immeasurable suffering. Um, <laughs> you know, and and that can be you know that's a nice antidote to just you know the very you know uh, uh, dichotomous way that that a lot of old fantasy was, where you had evil and you had good, and you know there was no gray in between. And so you know, grimdark in a sense was a reaction to that. And it's great, you know, stuff. And but I find that I need, um, I can't. That can't be all I consume, because hmm. you know I want to jump out of a window eventually. I want to believe in, in, in the, in the in the idea that we can do things to make the world a better place. That our our uh, connection to one another matters. That uh, it's it's important to care about others and and the fate of the world. Uh, and Grimdark just kind of says, in a lot of ways, nothing's ever going to get better. <laughs> Everything you do is futile. Um, and here are all these anti-heroes for, for you to get inside their heads. Uh, and uh, again, some that it done well, Grimdark is amazing stuff. Right? Incredibly rich, really powerful stuff. Uh, but then, you know, I, I know that I need I need something where there's some light that happens, right? You something know, you, that that lights the darkness. You know something. You know one. You know something like I like with like grim dark and uh, dark fantasy and like um, some specific kind of horror as well. Is that um, like uh, the world is very grim? Of course, that's the main appeal and everything. But then, um, because it's such a dark world, when there's uh, when there's hope, you know, it it shines so bright. Like it 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 um, it's uh, it's uh, and you you know the thing is that after you've read so many books and uh, you 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 understand the hero's journey and plot structures and all of that stuff, right? like books a lot of books start becoming predictable and it's like you're almost just waiting for it to happen and when it happens because you were already predicting it because you've read so many books and you're already predicting it you there's something lost you know but those dark so my the value of grim dark and dark fantasy and some kind of horror is that like uh like there's always the possibility of your hope being um crushed Right. So you value when 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 it's uh, yielding results in a positive in a positive direction, it yields like it's this 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 like you you're really rooting for it to work. You know, you're really you're you're, you're actually scared that okay, your your protagonist could actually like I don't know lose a leg like doing something mm -hmm. random. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like um, that is the value. That that is why one of the things I like about Grim Dark very a lot and. Even even I've I've read quite some grim dark like I just discovered like uh, grim dark like really really discovered it last year I've read a couple before, but when I read um, Barrowlands like the tone like just um, the setting and um, just like the, the the not just the setting like the pace of events and when things start getting escalated. Like it, 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 it's the, 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 the flow of my emotions when I was reading the book, because that's how I know when I like a book, the flow of emotions while I'm reading it, like was just so was just, I had no complaints. Like there was, there's nothing, you know, you know, there was not, I had no problem with it, you know? So I'm really, really excited to read um, the Iconoclast. Cool. <laughs> 
I think he, I think he liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I really did. I predict you're going to like it too, Steve. Yeah. I hear a lot. Uh, everyone that I usually align with is raves about this series. So I'm really excited to, to get started on it. Uh, is the, so there, there is a reading order. We were talking a little bit before we came yeah, on. Yeah. Perfect. So, uh, Barrel Lands is the first book. Uh, well, the prequel. It, well, it's the, it's, it's a short story, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, Epic read uh, read Barrowlands first, and that's fine. But ideally, read Aching God and then Barrowlands. Oh, okay. Uh, because I think that I, I'm just really be interested to hear people's experience of of Barrowlands being aware of what happened in Aching Ooh. God. Um, but you could really you could do it either way, and. Uh, Barrowlands is in that the Lost Lore, uh, which is a free uh, ebook uh, available at Amazon. Um, then Aching God, or uh, after Aching God, then uh, Sin Eater is the second book, uh, and I'd recommend that people read uh, Final Word, which is a short story in uh, another free fantasy anthology called uh, Heroes Wanted, also available at. Uh, at uh, Amazon, okay, and then Idols Fall. So I have a question. So, um, so this world um, is bigger than uh, the iconoclast. Like, is it is it something that is going to continuously um, expand, or is this something? Are you are you going like Are you looking at um, other projects? Like, what is the plan with this world? Um, I definitely have, have more plans for this world. Um, uh, it, the question is where I go next. I mean, I, I had thought that I was going in the direction of a, of a, a second trilogy set 200 years in the future in the a kind of analog of the American colonies uh, hmm. before the revolution, hmm. 200 oh, years after the events of, and so you, uh, you, you kind of see what's happened in some sense to the world and what's developed following the events of, of, uh, idols fall. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating because I, I've got other ideas. I've have, I have, so I've got that trilogy set in the new world. Uh, then I have, uh, three standalones I'm thinking about, uh, one called, uh, Korth the Revelator, which takes place 700 years before Iconoclasts uh before the founding of the empire of hanifax and korath is actually the uh the first king and so it's actually his story uh of how he he ends up uh coming upon the gods who reveal themselves uh, hmm. to him uh, and starts this empire uh, another is uh a book set in ashkea which is the uh uh eastern empire uh, that are the kind of uh, historical uh, enemies of the Empire of Hanifax. And then I, uh, one of the things that I found a lot of reviewers, people who talk about the book will talk about how much they, oh, they love dungeon crawls, right? And I, you know, it's uh, the, the book, I, I, you're, you're, you're three quarters of the way through the book before you get to the dungeon crawl. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to write a 600 page dungeon crawl, dude. Yeah. Um, there's, there's more than just that going on. Uh, I thought, well, you know what I could do is write a collection of short stories that were just dungeon crawls, uh, all related to the Seraic League, which is this uh, this organization uh, that you'll be introduced to uh, shortly after you start reading Aching God. That uh, that is essentially a league of of uh, people who go and explore old ruins and, and hunt out monsters and treasure and whatnot. Uh, so that those are the three standalones. And then I've got another trilogy I'm thinking about, which I'm not going to say where in the world it's happening, but it's, it's, uh, uh, it's on another continent. So, uh, so yeah, I've got, I think nine books rolling around in my head right now, uh, all set in, in this world at different times. Um, and I'm just, I, I'm excited to get at it. We've, it's, it's been tough to find time writing hmm. since of course this is, uh, I've got a day job, uh, hmm. 
and a six-year-old son. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, wow. so it's it's been tough to find uh, to find writing time lately. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, so you better find that writing time because, like, I'm excited and I'm going to read. Probably going to read everything. Like, I like uh, I like um, I like uh, worlds that are like built like that extensively so that like uh, because it, it's always good to have a sense because sometimes okay sometimes you read a book and um you you the way it's written you 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 kind of don't get the sense that something else is happening somewhere else like you don't you, like that is not but like when you're like uh you already have like so many ideas of like uh different stories happening in this world then like the the like the the idea of the world itself has just expanded in my head and i'm very curious about it so um this book is self-published right yes okay and um like uh did you have like when you were started like like to the best of my knowledge you were part of you you submitted this book as um in the spfbo i think that's mark lawrence's um thing and um like how in terms of like publicity like how how do you think that um helped the book like uh, just like get out there the book uh was already doing reasonably well um, okay i mean if talking in self-publishing terms um oh, this just opens up a whole can of worms talking about this um <laughs> let me think about how i want to answer this we don't want to get you in any trouble or anything. Yeah. Um, I was really lucky to have to, to meet a few self-published uh, fantasy authors uh, before I published the first book and got involved in a group of them that we have conversations with one another. We share tips. We, we offer encouragement. It's, it's just, it's an amazing group of people uh, called, uh, called the Terrible Ten. Uh, they're neither terrible nor are there 10 of them. Um, and uh, uh, I had an in with uh, uh, a major publisher in that at the time, um, uh, Paizo had a, have a, had a novel line that was being overseen by Tor Books. Mm. And because I had written for Paizo, I approached uh, the uh, editor at Tor at Gen Con, who was, at, it was always at Gen Con every year at the Writers' Symposium. I approached him uh, to talk with him about this idea I had since I had already written for Paizo, and he was familiar with my stuff. And he basically said, when you've got a, when you've got a draft you're happy with, send it to me. Hmm. So, so here's, you know, here's some guy, just some guy. Any, any unpublished writer out there right now is is would give their left kidney for an opportunity like this to put something in the hands of of one of the major publishers and uh he he, he took it and I, I sent it to him and the next gen con we met and he bought me lunch and gave me feedback and uh told me first of all that you know he had very good things to say about it very kind things to say about the quality of the writing uh, but he said that uh, I, I want to be honest with you and tell you that a New York publisher will not be interested in this novel. Hmm. And wow. uh, and he, I, uh, you know, he he told me why. He said, in, in part, your your protagonist is too nice. Really. And what it boiled down to is that they really look are are looking more for the grim dark kind of vibe. Um, at least at this time, this would have been. 2017 i believe um and uh uh i think he said i think that you know you probably would do pretty well publishing this on your own and going the self-publishing route so you know i this this uh editor is a, is a he's a great guy gave me this time took the time you know to read my novel you know, bought me lunch, gave me feedback. Again, any unpublished fantasy author on the planet would, you know, would ransom their grandmother uh, to, to, to have an opportunity to do like that. So I, I want to be clear that I have no ill will whatsoever. And I just, I feel really privileged that he, that he took the time to do that. Um, 
So I, you know, I went back to the self-publish, the self-publishing book because I was considering doing the self-publishing route because I'm, I'm a control freak and I like to, I'd like to be able to choose what my cover looks like and what goes in and what stays, uh, stays in, what gets cut and whatnot. Um, and, uh, and I'm also not someone who deals great with rejection. And so the idea of querying to find an agent and then querying to find a publisher and the fact that, you know, at the time I was, uh, uh, 54 and I thought, yeah, I'm not, I'm too old for this shit. Right? I don't want to, I don't have the ego strength and I don't have the time to, to try to find someone. And, uh, and if I want to publish this, I get a, you know, I go the route to make this a professional product. I get a professional editor to edit this. I get a professional to design and lay out the book, both, both the ebook and the print. And I get a professional artist to do the cover. Hmm. And then I run it through these so that, I mean, I think today that the, that indie publishing is, uh, is that stellar stuff. It's just amazing stuff out there that's self-published and, uh, you know, it's not vanity publishing. Um, now there are some people who don't get a professional editor who edit themselves or have, they have their buddy edit it for them. Um, uh, people who are doing their own covers that really shouldn't be that you want a professional looking cover. I think that these days that a lot of times, uh, indie fantasy is where it's at. They're taking more experiments. A lot of these, uh, you know, they're looking at now there's a big push for getting, uh, diverse voices. Right. And it's like, guys. Indy has been doing that already. You know, we have uh, members of the Slack, uh, writers of color who have been producing amazing stuff told from different cultural perspectives than, you know, the, than European, uh, kind of a European vibe. Um, it's been there. It's been happening in indie publishing all this time. Uh, and some of those people are getting snarfed up. I mean, people like, uh, like Evan Winter, if you haven't read uh, uh, Rage of Dragons, books, Rage of Dragons, and uh, uh, what's what's the, what's the next book? Uh, Fires uh, of blanking, Fires of Vengeance. Of Vengeance. Yeah. Yes, uh, amazing stuff. Chaos Velosos, uh, Chronicles of the Wolf Queen. Uh, it used to be called Bitch Queen. That's what uh, what uh, 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 traditional publishing does. It it makes you change things like that. But um, uh, they, she got, she was self-published and they snarfed her up because she's, a, she's an amazing writer. She tells amazing stories. But I also look at, at the opportunities uh, out there for, for readers of fantasy who want to see, hear different voices. Uh, T.L. Greylock, Phil Tucker, uh, Alec Hudson, um, uh, Ben Galley, uh, uh, Zach, uh, Zach Pike, um, there, there are amazing people out there. And Spiffbo, getting back to your question, um, is a great place for uh, someone on the outside to get a picture of what's available in indie writing. You know, 300 people uh, submit every year. Uh, you get semifinalists from the 10 blogs that are doing the reviews. So you get they each get 30 books that they have to... Uh, they have to review. They bring those down to a few finalists, uh, semi-finalists, and then each blog selects one finalist, so there are 10 finalists. Um, my book, uh, when Aiken God debuted, uh, it did pretty well for an, for an indie uh, book with, with no advertising budget, right? Just, hey, it's here. And part of that was getting uh, some of my indie friends, uh, letting me in on people who might be interested in it, and Getting, giving them some advanced copies for free in order to get an honest review and the word of mouth uh, that just happened and, and people being excited about it. When Spiffbo came along, I, I, was, uh, I was blown away because um, my book was the first one of the, the first blog that selected its finalist was uh, the blog that selected uh, uh, my, uh, my, uh, book as their finalist and and so here i am i'm in the finals of of spiffbo and i definitely saw a, a a bump up in in sales uh for a while 
um, and a lot more interest and that that was cool. But then as it turns out that a lot of the other judges didn't feel as keen about it and it started getting lower ratings, all of a sudden I just watched my sales go <laughs> and uh, really, really kind of uh, went down for a while. So uh, I, Spiffbo was really, and in some ways, kind of a blow to my confidence where hmm. I got, you know, they, they, someone loved it and put it forward and then it ended up. I mean, it did it did okay, but it certainly didn't uh, didn't set any anything on fire. Um, and you know, people ask, you know, are you are you going to submit anything else to Spiffbo? And I kind of thought, you know what, I got I got the attention the first go around, and rather than being something that someone submits to over and over again, I'm going to be one of those guys that said, hey, I had my chance. Let's give other authors a chance. Uh, and plus, I just I don't think I can take the uh, <laughs> <laughs> emotional blow if if it isn't uh if it isn't something that people enjoy so um spiffbo is a great way for people to discover new indie writers um and i you know fully supported and i have a lot of i've had, had a lot of friends who are who have been in spiffbo and that's how i met uh a lot of other indie writers hmm. it's it's a great opportunity um but people also have to recognize that there is there are always elements of luck mm. you know yeah. if if there are the year that i got uh uh selected the in for the same blog another writer uh uh benedict patrick who's just a wonderful writer uh his yarns world uh is just brilliant brilliant stuff <laughs> and he it was in the he was in the same group as i was and why did was my book better than his? Some people think so. A lot of people prefer his book. He's a wonderful writer. I'd probably have chosen his book. <laughs> um, and there's just that that you know getting the right reader who you know Epic. You talked about being jazzed by 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 Barrowlands and it grabbing you. It's like good, cool. Here's here. I found one of my readers. <laughs> but there have been some who've picked it up and, and you know dnf and it that's just the nature of 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 fiction right uh some stuff is gonna grab people and other people are gonna be left cold by it hmm. and uh you have to do this for more than fame and fortune because there's very little of of that of, of either of those things for for most of us and uh, there better be more that motivates you to do this so you know like you've said a lot of things that uh, as like uh, someone who plans to self-publish and like i've published like a short story but like it was they told me what to write on so i don't really count it as my stuff but um uh like uh, you said a lot of stuff that, that i find very encouraging and um yeah like in terms of rejection like i have no fear of it like uh Back in the day, I did like door-to-door -door sales, you know, knock on doors. Hey, you want to you want to change your internet to tell us, you know? So uh, I, I got used to you well for a yes for a publishing then yeah one hundred percent. So I have no fear of that. Like um, there are opinions, of course, that matter more than others. Uh, but then, like I've come to learn that like it's all subjective at the end of the day, you know, like. Uh, so like yeah like i'm not i'm not worried about that and thank you for everything you've shared like uh, you you went beyond the question and you really dug into some of the deeper things i wanted to know about so thank you for that my pleasure i tend to ramble no that's good it's a good conversation as a self-published author how is amazon to work with even just kindle unlimited how useful is that as a self-published author i have no complaints about amazon they are a wonderful. Blink twice if you're safe. Bezos is is listening. In, I'm sure. Oh um, my god! It, it's it's an uh, it's an enormous uh, corporation that, in many ways, is evil and done has done bad things to the world. And as someone who considers himself a progressive. Uh, it, there are a lot of what, things about their business practices, their labor practices that are, are appalling to me. Um, they're the only game in town. Mm -hmm. And 
for those who are, are interested in, in doing indie writing and self-publishing, uh, know right now that uh, Kindle Unlimited, I'm sure most of your most of the people here know what Kindle Unlimited is. You're essentially enrolling in a library of, of books that are available. And what happens is if I enroll my book in, in KU, Kindle Unlimited, I get paid by the page read. So someone borrows the book from Amazon. And every time you flip that page, I get a fraction of a penny. Hmm. And the, 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 the exact amount differs from month to month, and then depending on how much money has been paid into the, uh, the Kindle Unlimited fund for that month. Oh. Um, but uh, the way that I make money is through the sale of ebooks, which is just someone buying the book outright in electronic form, digital form, print copies, uh, audiobook uh, purchases, and Kindle Unlimited. Half of my money comes from Kindle Unlimited. Wow. Half of the royalties mm. I get are just from page reads. Wow. Mm. And so if I wanted to go wide, which some, some indies do, where they're going to go to Kobo and, and does, is Nook still a thing and whatever other platforms there are. And uh, most of the time I see all of, they all come crawling back to uh to you know their evil uncle amazon um they're a monopoly and they've got monopoly power and part of it is because you know the publishing industry has has uh been asleep at the wheel and has you know in a lot of we were just having a, a discussion in the slack group that i mentioned i'm a part of terrible town about you know as much as we like to talk about how evil amazon is and, and and blame them for what's happening in publishing a lot of this is because publishing uh the traditional publishing has has de declined to uh to change with the times mm -hmm. and to recognize that um you know people want different things and there are different ways for people to read and uh being so hooked into this this print the uh, print media which is hey i got i got bookcases galore behind me here i love print but that's not all there is in the world now and hearing you, uh, yeah, hearing you describe yeah. that makes me think back to the late 90s early 2000s of the music industry when they were late to the party with digital is, is that kind of the same i think so probably i mean I, I i'm not i'm not as business savvy as a lot of these other people that i that i know are but I mean, I, they're, the arguments they make make sense that, you know, these a lot of these uh, the publishing industry, you know, has become this kind of behemoth that doesn't move very fast. You know, it's like stealing, steering, a, steering a, a cargo ship. Um, and uh, they I think that, you know, if. You know, I think there's a good chance that brick and mortar stores are they're going to go the same way as as places where you used to buy records? Remember mm -hmm. record stores? Anyone? Yeah, Tower <laughs> Records and yeah, Tower Records and all whatnot. Um, it's gone. And uh, Amazon, you know, if if I don't know if anyone's going to be able to successfully challenge Amazon unless there's some sort of antitrust thing that happens. But I don't think that we have any politicians who have the appetite for taking on, you know, a company that that has more income than many uh, developed nations. Um, so, you know, I think this is what we got. This is this is the, the 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 playing field and we can rail against it. And I could take a principled stance and say, no, I'm going to uh, I'm just going to go wide and not. Uh, not tie myself down to Amazon. And every now and again, I get an email from a reader who says, Hey, I really want to read your books. Are they available in Kobo or whatever? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have to say that I'm sorry. It's an Amazon exclusive because, you know, they, they have my, you know, my son in a, in a cellar somewhere. <laughs> um, and I have to keep selling exclusively through them. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And this, it's interesting to me, everyone's different uh, experiences with, with publishing and Amazon. And you would think someone would, would come along and try and, and challenge them with 
I know they don't have the resources right away, but just something even small just to get the business rolling. But hmm. yeah, yeah the, part of the problem with that is that you know Amazon is savvy enough that they would find a way. I think for a lot of people who would try to start up something like that, they would find a way to eat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just what I was thinking. I was like, uh, that monopoly. Like, I feel like it's too, Amazon is so powerful right now. You know, yeah. it's so 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 powerful. Like, and uh, yeah, like they they they're really benefiting from that monopoly. So they would do anything they can to like uh, keep it that way. And I, for one, welcome our corporate overlords. <laughs> yeah but but either either way like i would prefer to publish with amazon than like uh, traditional publishing anyway you know like uh i i you know there are some public there are some editors that act as like gatekeeper for gatekeepers for like uh publishing companies and that idea of you telling me like uh the worth of my story based on parameters that are set that aren't like moving with the times is very it unsettles me a lot because I, i've read like a lot of i've read a lot of literature like old stuff i've read like a lot of like recent stuff as well and it's it's for anyone who reads that extensively you can see that things are moving in a in a certain direction you can kind of tell where the attention is you know so and i don't and like you said they haven't moved along with the time and that 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 is very unsettling for me you know so either way amazon is the way to go unfortunately yeah and the yeah. pandemic's made made that situation yes worse, but... amplified it yeah. amplified yeah. it even 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 more so, so like something that i really appreciate uh, about amazon although they keep juggling where it ends up on your page is also reds Right, that also read section. I've discovered so yeah. many authors that way. You know, oh, you like this book? Well, people who read this book also enjoyed this. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not talking about the promoted ones, where it's you know, it's because that's another way that Amazon is gobbling up money is for people who are doing advertising to get their books, so their books pop up in that promoted section for George R. R. Martin and Joe Abercrombie and 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 other big names. Um, but those also reds are a little pure kind of picture of what else is out there. And, and it's cool to see stuff pop up that I don't recognize that, Oh, what's this about? And I can go and take a look at it. And, uh, um, that's just something that, you know, it was, it was all word of mouth, you know, back in the day, you know, you'd go to Walden books or little professors. I'm from the Detroit area. Uh, and you'd go in and you'd go through the stacks and that's how you'd find new writers. Right. Yeah. You'd see what they had in their in their mass market paperback uh, fantasy section, fantasy and science fiction sh section, which used to be a lot more substantial than it is yeah. now. Um, oh yeah. And you know, uh, so, but now we got the also reds, which is a, is a great way to kind of explore things. So, like, uh, just just very quickly, like, uh, like, uh, um, so anyone who is a content creator and like looks at their analytics like i look at my analytics like i'm i'm a nerd with books but i'm a nerd in another kind of way as well but um i look at my analytics and suggested videos like uh it's like oh people that watched um this video like also clicked on your channel and it shows like how long they watched my videos for and i was finding that a lot of like people that like liked uh, steve's stuff like a lot of my views comes from people who watch Steve's stuff and the next thing that popped up was my stuff and then it just like kept going like that so like it's uh there's a thing and you you know something like I also feel like um the thing the, the way social media is now I feel like uh like uh I feel like okay so the power of social media right just like people because all these social media have their algorithms and all of them, like they recognize patterns, like people who like this also like this. And like, it's a way of like keeping people like uh, locked, like keeping their attention on their services, you know? So like, I feel like if they, the only chance of anything ever like breaking Amazon is that power of social media, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, uh, you don't, you don't need, like if, if, if say you had, uh, if say you had like 10 million subscribers or say like, uh, 200 like 10 million subscribers you don't need amazon <laughs> you your subscribers like you know you know what i mean so like i feel like uh in the new generation of authors that are social media savvy 
like they might be able to like dilute that power a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, don't know how much, I, I don't know how much attention I get from, from social media. I mean, I have a Twitter account, um, but I don't really see Twitter moving my sales very much. And mm. I've just, you know, found that it's probably just taking a lot more of my time as I scroll through the, uh, the politics stuff that enrages me. Um, <laughs> and every now and again, I'll get some cool stuff. I'll get some cool history stuff or art stuff or, or fantasy stuff or whatever. Um, but uh, uh, I think a lot of people expect to have more contact with their con with content creators, right? They need opportunities like this. Um, and uh, I think that's exciting. I think it's, it, you know, and, and I love the idea of being able to, to talk with people who are interested in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, even though I'm, you know, I'm, I don't have uh, a publishing deal. Um, I, 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 uh, I think that is the, the future. The gatekeepers are, are slowly but surely losing their power. And that's exciting uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, it doesn't necessarily even the playing field uh, but it certainly has has you know the 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 evil powers that be will eventually figure it out and and do something else to squash uh, that. But but for the time being, we're in ex it's we're in an exciting time. Hmm. Let me ask you a question: What writers do you enjoy reading? Um, I, I think you heard me name several who I, I think are really great uh, indie fantasy authors. Um, uh, Bryce O'Connor as a, as another name, um, uh, Tam Tamandra Whitecastle, I think mm -hmm. is, is brilliant. In fact, right here, um, this, she has brilliant covers, uh, mm -hmm. but this is the first in her, uh, Living Blade trilogy. I think that she is, is, is really amazing. Her, uh, more recent, uh, books, uh, her more recent book was, um, uh, uh, Queens of the Weird, um, and uh, it's a Viking Moms uh, quest. <laughs> it's awesome. It's it's oh. such a good book. Is it um, like uh, is it is it fantasy or is it historical? Yes. Fantasy, yeah. okay. Grim, dark, dark fantasy. What type of fantasy? Uh, it it's it's pretty dark. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, dark stuff, but it's it's awesome stuff. Another, I mentioned T.L. Greylock. Her latest uh, book. Um, uh, Shadows and Ivory is the beginning of a, a new Ooh, trilogy. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, lo I love that cover. Yeah, I yeah. Love that cover. Uh, she uh, wrote um, oh, Song of the Ash Tree trilogy, which is, is also a kind of Norse-inspired fantasy series. Uh, wonderful stuff. Um, uh, M.L. Wang's uh, uh, Sword of Kagan is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I'm about to get it, get in on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually. She's she's wonderful. Uh, I mentioned Phil Tucker. Uh oh, uh Dirk Ashton's uh Paternus hmm. trilogy is a is a hoot. Hmm. Um let me just look at my 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 uh my stack here. Uh JC Kang, uh Demi Harper's God of Gnomes. What a blast. God of uh, a lot of fun. Um uh her it's it's lighter uh uh, stuff. It's it's uh, it's a hilarious book. Uh, as is uh, Zach uh, Pike's uh, Orconomics. Uh, excellent, excellent book. Uh, ben Galley's Chasing Graves. Yeah, so as far well. as fiction is concerned, most of my attention is on uh, indie authors now. Um, uh, I read a ton of history. Um, I, I, I've been a history buff since I was a kid, and uh, right now I'm still in the middle of uh, uh, Agrippina by Emma Southern. Uh, I've been a, a, a Roman history buff for, for ages. That's what started my interest in history, and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a wonderful modern uh, feminist take on, uh, on the mother of Nero. Um, good stuff. Wow, that would actually be very interesting because, mm -hmm. uh, like, the way the historians like uh, they 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 paint Nero as someone that was uh, suffering a lot from the Oedipus complex, 
like he had a like apparently he was over nurtured not nurtured or something like he he never like grew up like and uh they kind of attributed to his uh tendencies you know how, how go ahead go ahead I was, I was gonna ask you like um i'm also like a big fan of like philosophy and history like how 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 much does how much would you say like uh history like um because you said you were a fan of that like uh influences your writing like and how and if so like how specifically huge i think it's a huge uh, factor and part of it is just seeing the way that that history moves and uh events occur and 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 how uh cultures clashing and the impact that has on 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 people uh just the stories hmm. um it, it's just it's it, i just find it incredibly rich uh i started off you know with my interest primarily in uh late republican early imperial roman history that expanded a little bit uh with you know all of, of roman history um tudor england medieval japan hmm. um uh what else have i uh renaissance italy is hmm. is something that i've really gotten fascinated with especially the city of florence which is my favorite place on the planet um uh and the, with Med the medici and and the the, the, the entire thing, the picture yeah. of the renaissance is just oh my god just amazing stuff yeah. um just the history the, the history of the of the uh renaissance popes and uh oh man i mean uh you, know, you just don't expect tales of uh lust and murder uh at the vatican but uh yeah <laughs> so i mean they just inspire all sorts of uh constructing worlds and histories and what happens if these two cultures that never met in reality were rubbed up against one you know rubbed up against one another mm. what would what would it look like um and uh so yeah, it's it's just incredibly inspirational, and I think it's important that we have a, that a person has a better understanding of of history. Mm -hmm. um, so not just looking at you know the familiar with great the great man theory of history that all history is driven by by great men, uh, and uh, how much of the story that loses. I mean that's where what most of our attention is, and so. Uh, People's History of uh, the United States by uh, uh, how am I blanking? Uh, a People's History of the United States. Help me, someone in chat. Um, Help him. Yeah, uh, fantastic uh, stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, People's History of the Vietnam War. Uh, I can't remember the author of that either. Uh, how how are um, uh, bury my heart at wounded knee by d brown mm. um wow uh i uh stamped from the beginning by um <laughs> i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna definitely play back this video and i'm going to yeah. like write all those books down because i have just this tiny piece of paper and there's no space anymore because you're uh, just I've, I've filled up my stamp <laughs> from the beginning by uh the he is the author of uh how to be an anti-racist uh mm -hmm. but it's his uh it's his account of you know kind of the history of uh of uh uh people of color in in uh in western culture brilliant 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 is it like uh is it like during like the slavery times or is it more like a modern take uh it's it it's uh it's going all the way back ah uh, uh, that's interesting looking at what the 1619 project put together uh that is you know i've got so much controversy here in this country about critical race theory and whatnot 1619 project uh, really looked at uh, a reckoning in the United States and, and recognizing the role uh, that uh, uh, enslaved peoples have ha had in the, in the history of this country and, you know, looking at systemic uh, uh, oppression and uh, and how that has impacted uh, our, our culture. So it's, I find all that stuff fascinating. It's funny you go in that direction. Um, so like, uh, it's funny you go in that direction because like, since I was younger, I always used to look into like colonial history. 
So like one of the guys that um, inspired me to be a writer, his name was Baba Obu. Like that's what they used to call him. And nobody knew how old this guy was, but this guy was old, old. And like, say when I was like, like 10 or 10 years, like he was blind. And uh, this dude would wake up in the morning and he would just be like uh, talking about stuff that happened when he was a little boy. So when he was a little boy, like he experienced, like he had like a first-hand experience of love, of like, uh, of, of when like uh, the, the Westerners came to Africa and like they were like uh, trying to like take over and he would wake up in the morning from morning till night. He would just be telling stories of how like he was running in the forest and like something exploded, entered into his eyes, he's blind. And it, it was like straight out of a fantasy book because his eyes were like com- just like completely white. And he was, he was like, he'd just be talking about it. And um, yeah, like a lot of my story as well is influenced by like um, colonial history and uh, like also uh like uh american like slave history so mm-hmm. for me it's like a very like i like that you said uh, that like uh, i like that you, you bring that out there that history influences your writing a lot and that even encourages me because right now i'm on like a grim dark dark fantasy like spree when i'm just like reading through books like that and um yeah like uh it reminded me to like go back into it you know yeah Oh, we I, we didn't plan to keep you so long, so I'm sorry. We just wow. started talking, and yeah, before we know it, it's it's an hour later. It's an hour already. Yeah. Wow. Like I'm really, really like this conversation is like uh, I've this conversation has been so interesting for me. Like I've just been like uh, you know taking notes because at least mental yeah. notes, and I'm gonna watch this again because it's so like you you said a lot of stuff that like for someone who wants to self publish and someone who wants to be like uh like wants to do like do what you did in in uh, i haven't even read um i can god yet but i'm so hyped for it you know like uh yeah so i'm i'm really really interested in uh i'm really really interested in reading that and if you can make it to one of the panels so that i can ask you questions afterwards mm-hmm. because you see i i try to not like be too too much because it, we're not talking about barlands here we're talking about aching god but like yes, like I would, I would really be be happy if you could come for one of those as well, so that we can really talk about it. Because I, I would have maybe a little bit more technical questions to ask you. Okay. Here, here the, of course, the danger is that this is so built up in in your in your heart now. No, but then you see, you see the, the thing. You see, no, no, no. The thing about it is, uh, for me, that's not how it works. I can very, very quickly recognize, uh, for me, I can very quickly recognize what I would like and what I would don't like very, very early, except in certain situations where like the book is has one tone and then all of a sudden there's a plot twist that just like changes everything and then you have to rethink everything, except in those type of situations, you know, like I can very easily tell what I would like. And for me, tone is super super important and the tone you set like i i i i i i would definitely enjoy that the mystery you've created like just you there were just some things you did so very well like and i can talk about barland for hours but you did them so well and like what i'm looking forward to be like lost in that world and that's why when you're talking about all oh, the other you're doing you're doing like uh you you're planning stuff like 700 years before and like a rival like a rival nation like all that stuff just gets me really really excited for for to read aching god and yeah like tr- trust me like i know i'd like it <laughs> okay but well, that's... Let, me, let me mention real quick the audiobook uh versions are available uh podium publishing are the producers simon vance uh brilliant brilliant uh narrator uh narrates the entire series first book aching god Barrellands is available as a as a, a single on Audible. Again, it's only an hour uh, long. Uh, Aching God, Sin Eater uh, are all available now. And then Idols Fall is uh, being released, I believe, on August the 17th or the 18th hmm. uh, as an audiobook, and And includes at the end, uh, Final Word. So oh. the, the short, the second short story uh, gets the Simon Vance narration treatment uh, at the end and i think that 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 audiobook is nearly 20 hours long including the short story so uh yeah so idols the all three will be available by the middle of a uh august 
will be available on audiobook if people prefer that format. Right in time for our group read to start. Yeah. And you know something, like concerning like uh like uh well yeah, this is actually a bit off topic, but I only buy books when they have like rereadable um when yeah, when I feel like okay, I can pick it up again and read. But I usually just get like audiobooks or ebooks because that way, because uh, I don't know, I had a very traumatic experience where like I was moving from Ottawa to Vancouver and like I had like 200 books and I couldn't carry it. So like I had to just give them away. When I came here, I was like, okay, I have to use a different format now. <laughs> like, you know, so um, yeah, like, and uh, yeah, like uh, I'm looking forward to having Aiken God in my collection. Cool. Very cool. Right there, I know. I know. I've been hearing this this whole time. (laughs) So thanks again, Mike, for coming by and chatting with us. It's been a a great conversation. Looking forward to starting the trilogy in September. Uh, Again, thanks for having me. It was a blast, and and I hope you guys uh, love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about it. So thanks, everybody, who who came to watch. And hopefully, even if you're not going to be reading with us, you got a chance to learn more about the trilogy and more about uh, Mike's experience and his, his writing. So. Yeah, and, I, and I'm just saying, if you if your taste, if you if you watch my channel, I we have like there's any similarity in taste between me and what I like to read and what you like to read, then like give Barland is very it's very it's a very safe book to read. It's only like an hour audiobook and it's not you can finish it in in a few hours, you know. Uh, so like give that a give that a read, and if you like that, you would love Aching God. Although he recommends reading Aching God first, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, let's see. Let's see. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for dropping by. Appreciate it. Yeah.